Well, good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host for this uh, long-standing program and uh, coming to you from the studios at the Coming Home Network International. I'm joined today by Matt Swain. Hello, Matt. Hey, Marcus. How are you? Great. You're coming to us from Washington, D.C., from inside the the swamp. Uh, I shouldn't yeah. say it that way, but... Uh, oh, that's all right. It's, you know, you're speaking the truth in love. <laughs> I'll say inside the belt, you know, that's... There what, you uh, go. Uh, but it's great to have you join us on this episode of Deep in Scripture, not just because it's great to have you here, but because I'm, I'm excited about you joining me in this new theme of programs that we're going to introduce today in the Deep in Scripture episodes. We've been doing Deep in Scripture now, boy, I don't know, uh, more than seven, well, a long time. I know we have gazillion years of it, and uh, we've had a variety of themes. And, and let me first say, for those of you listening, thank especially those of you who have listened for many years. We love your comments. We'd love to have your, especially your uh, your ideas on our online community, which Matt will talk about later in the program. But over the years, originally Deep in Scripture focused on what we might call the, the verses we never saw. And so these were usually apologetic verses that supported uh, the, the, the Catholic Church and the importance of the Church, especially versus sola scriptura, the importance of an authoritative guide to the interpretation of Scripture. And they were usually verses that a convert like myself would say, man, I don't remember seeing this back when I was a Protestant minister or whatever, and then, whoa, this verse jumped at me and, and bit me from behind and, and awakened me to a new understanding of my faith. And a second layer of themes that we've had over the years we'd call hard verses, uh, scriptures that difficult to interpret, especially coming from a particular tradition that we may have come from on our journey to the Catholic Church and saw that within the authority of the Church, those hard verses made more sense within the rule of faith. A third theme that we've uh, addressed from time to time is what we call being, abiding, and abounding. And it was the idea of being in Christ and then abiding in Christ and then experiencing the blessings of walking with Christ, as well as the challenges. And so we look at verses that talk about the different stages of the spiritual journey. What we're starting today is a new theme for our Deep Scripture programs, which, want, for want of a better title, we're calling Memorable Verses. And what my guest and I will be examining together are verses that have always been important in our lives— and at some point in our life, for a variety of ways, we, we memorized them. And we found that the memorization and the knowing of these scriptures over our lives has been very important. Uh, for some of us, they were not just verses we might remember once a year, but maybe once a month or once a week or maybe once a day. But even on top of that, we believe that they're verses that Catholic Christians ought to memorize, ought to know. And there's lots of things that evangelical converts bring to the church, if you will, our patrimony. The Anglicans have a patrimony. Well, what do evangelicals have? I think one of our patrimonies we bring to the church is an encouragement to know Scripture, to memorize Scripture, to have it. In the Old Testament, they talk about having it as the phylacteries hanging from your foreheads, you know, was the law of God. Well, what the image was that as a part of your thinking, a part of your heart. 
And maybe the the best example of that in Scripture itself is when our Lord spent his days in the desert alone being tempted by the devil. Uh, what was it that our Lord used as the sword to defend himself against the devil? It was Scripture. And that was the authority that our Lord, in his humanity, used to... Uh, protect himself and to drive off the temptations of script of the devil. And I, I'm pretty sure, Matt, yourself, that that's why these verses are important to us, because it helps us fight the battle. Well, and they are so, uh, I think the ones that I ended up memorizing, well, there are a number of different reasons that I memorize verses. Uh, I'll give you an example. When I remember going to a Youth for Christ camp as a teenager and the book that was kind of the focus of the week was James, and I managed to memorize the entire book of James in a week. And I got a, a case of Hershey candy bars. As a, I mean, that's I suppose that's more of an ulterior reason for memorizing scripture. Uh, but I also was a, a Bible quizzer in the Nazarene church. And uh, actually, I was regionally ranked at one point. I know that's not a big deal, but among the churches of the Nazarene, yeah. uh, you know, from Defiance and Lima and Perrysburg and all these other, we would get together for these meets and we would memorize scripture and they'd assign us a set of books. One year it was the prison epistles, one year it was Luke and you'd memorize it for that purpose. But also uh, just kind of throughout, you know, the Christian life and you'd hear it from the pulpit verses that the pastor would say a number of times over and over. And he'd say chapter and verse when he said it, and it would be burned into your brain that not only this is what the Bible says, this is where to find that verse. Yeah, which is something that's not really a habit. I mean, we're so used to hearing things like a reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew. Okay, what chapter, (laughs) right? It's just not something that we're wired for. But I remember um, very clearly having to know where it was and having it underlined in that place and sometimes putting a date by it when that uh, particular verse struck me. So it was always very practical uh, at at the end of the day as to why we memorize these verses. Yeah, speaking in generalities— maybe even a caricature, it has seemed that we're in the early days of the church. If you look at, if you read the early church fathers, they knew the Bible unbelievably well. Uh, it, it was as if it was the most precious treasure they had. If you read Irenaeus as against heresy, it, it, it's a scripture against scripture against scripture all the way through. But somewhere along the line, it seemed that Catholics fell away from the idea of memorizing scripture. And, and, and I don't know that or when as a historian. I'm, you know, I don't know when. But it seems like we ended up with these two extremes. We have Catholics that hear it on Sunday and know the words of scripture, know about the prodigal son, but they might not know that it's in the book of Luke. Uh, and on the other extreme, you have what you talked about, where not only do you have Protestants that memorize it, but I mean, it's come, it almost is like the main theme of, of Bible camps is challenges of, of Bible drills and knowing it. And, 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 oh, I still remember almost all of it. Yeah, I knew a guy uh, once that could stand up and recite the entire Gospel of Mark, yeah. uh, almost to the point where he could do it theatrically. Oh, we would uh, we would memorize it according to beats. We would write it out on pieces of paper to memorize it. Luke, uh, the Gospel of the Prodigal Son. I always remember that that's in Luke 15 because yeah. that's also where you find the parable of the lost coin 
and the parable of the lost sheep yeah. and the parable of the lost son. And our joke was that's the lost chapter of the Bible, Luke 15. <laughs> we always had all of these tricks and tools for helping us memorize. But there was good reason behind that. We, you know, we laugh about it, but it's good reason because the bottom line is that the scriptures are the, the inspired word of God. And uh, as... As it says in the beginning, I have an old Catholic Bible with me today. I don't have my usual one. left it at home. Um, but it says there are three things about the Bible which Catholics must believe, that it has God as its author, that its various books are all inspired, and that because God is the author, no formal error can be admitted within the sacred pages. And so as Catholics, we revere this book. This is a great gift we have. But it shouldn't be merely something we hear once in a while. Right. Absolutely. I, I mean, it's, it, as Hebrews, I think it's uh, 4.12 says, the word of God is alive, sharper than any double-edged sword. I mean, why would we want to go into the world unarmed when we've got this this word of God, this living thing? It's not dead words on a page, right? I have a book in my library of the conversion stories of 10 Catholic nuns who became Protestant. And when you read their stories, almost every one of them, the main thing that began their journey was when a Protestant friend gave them a Bible, and it surprised them. They said, well, I've never had a Bible. I mean, it's on the one hand, you'd think it's absurd. But the point, if you take them seriously, is that you can hear Scripture over and over and over and over again but not hear it. right? And so that's why um, the church strongly recommends that Catholics read their Bible every day and read it within what's called the rule of faith. That's why uh, in the earliest days of the church, when the scriptures are being more and more readily copied and copied and passed out, that they were also, on the one hand, to have the, the scriptures in one hand and the creed in the other. That was the balance. Today, we have the Bible and the Catechism, so that we make sure that when we, and we'll share today a v verses that we think you ought to memorize, but we select those and interpret those within the rule of faith. Because, Matt, it's also true, from your background as well as mine, that there are people who would memorize scriptures because those scriptures were key flags for a particular tradition, a, a, a particular trajectory of faith that, that was then used in apologetic arguments to defend, for example, a health and wealth gospel or something that isn't exactly a faithful way of interpreting Scripture. Right. And, and of course, this happened all the time, uh, you know, when I was in Bible college at Asbury. It's not a Bible college per se, but it might as well have been for for yep. these purposes where, you know, one of my best friends in college was my roommate, a Calvinist. I was a Wesleyan. And we both knew exactly where to go to prove that we were right. Yeah. And in some senses, we were both right. You know, I see now as as a Catholic that I have a fuller picture of how all those things fit together. But as a Wesleyan or a Calvinist, we just saw how these verses told the story and those other verses you had to do some kind of mental gymnastics and sprain your brain trying to explain how they fit into this worldview that you you know had already set out like and 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 again this is when we talk 
and you've talked in a number of other places about hard verses or verses we never saw. They were hard because we didn't know how to fit them into that framework we already had. Exactly. And we never saw them because we just kind of looked past them because we were only looking for the verses that already affirmed what we already believed. Yeah, I remember the verse, uh, 1 Timothy 3.15, about the church being the pillar and bulwark of the truth. You know, there's a verse I never saw. I don't remember. I taught through 1 Timothy, like, preached through the whole book, and I don't remember seeing that. It, and as you said, because of my particular tradition, which saw the Bible only as a pillar and bulwark of truth, when I saw that verse, I must have just skimmed over it mentally. But when I did see it, then it, it wasn't just a verse I never saw. Then it became a hard verse. It became a verse that you couldn't unsee, right? Yeah, yeah. So, but then that became a verse that I memorized because of its significance for my own journey. And so what we're going to talk about are verses not so much from an apologetic standpoint, though they may turn out in my future guests, but we're really talking about verses that we find very important for the spiritual journey, if you will, the spiritual battle. And uh, Matt, you shared with me, as I would too, I could come up with a hundred verses just by my God's— My problem was narrowing it down. <laughs> by God's mercy and grace. It isn't my intellect or ability to memorize. It's just that by God's mercy, he's helped and allowed me to remember scriptures over the years that have been very important and have always seen them as messages of encouragement from him. And so the— Here's the, the way that I'm proposing we do these episodes of Deep in Scripture. And again, we're, those of you listening, we're always looking for your input. What I'm going to do is I'm going to invite a guest to join me. And I, I will be, both of us are to bring a Scripture that we believe is important and ought to be memorized that we want to pass on to you. And we'll begin the program after a brief introduction is I will share the verse that I want us to discuss, and neither the guest nor I will know each other's verse for the episode. I'll just kind of plop it on my guest, and, we'll, and I'll talk about why that verse is important to me, why I think it's uh, important to, to for us to know, and the guests will have the freedom for us to, to dialogue about it. Then, secondly, the guest will share his or her verse that I didn't know was coming, and the guest will talk about that, and we'll talk and have a dialogue about that verse. And then we'll close the program by taking these two scriptures that we've serendipitously put together and talk about how they fit together in discipleship of Jesus Christ, in following Jesus Christ, in dealing with the spiritual battle. So this is going to be, as Matt, you titled this, impromptu, deluxe, right? Uh, improv as we look at yeah. the verses. So... We had a longer introduction this time, guests, I mean, the audience, than normal. But uh, let's jump into this first episode of Memorable Verses. Let's and, do it. And I'll tell you, Matt, you know which one's coming because I know I've uh -oh. I've shared this 1,642 times on Journey Home Program and Deep in Scripture. This has been—I I looked at, well, what are the alternate ones I could mention? There are lots of them, as well, I'll go through in the weeks to come. Um, but— I have to begin with this one because this is maybe the most memorable verse in my life, and that's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I've got it written on the wall of my office in a number of places. Um, I, I just saw it recently that my middle son, Peter, who was just ordained a transitional deacon to become a priest next year, 
in some cards he sent out, he used Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I know, in other words, it's become a part of our lives, not because of me, but because of the value of the verse itself. And it comes from the Old Testament. Let me read it. It's four short lines, easy to memorize. I memorized it, kind of a combination of King James RSV. And it goes like this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll direct your paths. I, I find myself almost getting emotional, even though I've said that verse a thousand times in my life. But I know to this day I'm now 67. I think I, be, I first memorized that verse when I was 21 years old, when I had my, quote, born-again, unquote, experience in college um, under the leadership of a, of a pastor who was a wonderful congregationalist pastor back in Bowling Green, Ohio. And he's the one that suggested that I memorize this verse uh, because I was struggling with what to do with my life. Uh, I was uh, going into my senior year of college. And uh, this verse has meant a tremendous amount to me because what's unique about it is it, it, it's a spin in the Old Testament, if you will. Most Old Testament poetry in the Psalms, usually one, the first line and the second line repeat each other, but with different themes or words. So, yea, it is morning, the sun is rising. I've just said the same thing in two different ways. You know, it is nighttime, the sun has gone down. I've said the same thing in two different ways. So often when you look at the Psalms, Usually, the first line and the second, the second line repeats the first idea, but with different words. Or it can be an exact opposite. Um, and we could go through that in the study of the Psalms. So there's a, a, a spin in this particular poem, if you will, that is what makes it so powerful. First, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Now, that could be our goal in life, is to grow in, in trusting. You know, I think about uh, uh, Sister Faustina. Jesus, I trust in you. You know, trust, trust, all that we are. And then the second thing is, and lean not on your own understanding. It's kind of saying the same thing, <clears throat> but from a different side, same coin. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and then don't lean on your own understanding. And that's always important to me because I realize just about the time I think I got all together, I might be dead wrong. So I need to trust our Lord and trust his church and trust the authorities he's given me because the devil can tempt us to start thinking we've, we know better than the authorities of the church or whatever. So we see trust in the Lord and then almost the same thing but from a different angle, lean not on your own understanding. And then in all your ways, acknowledge him. He doesn't say acknowledge your friends or acknowledge your culture, or acknowledge yourself. It's in everything you do, point to him. And then the next line is a spin. Because what does it say? And he will direct your paths. In other words, it, if it was following the same format, it would say direct your paths to him. In all your ways, acknowledge him and direct your paths to him. That would be saying the same thing in a different way. But that's not what it says. It's allowing us to trust that he will guide. When you surrender to him, 
to grow by grace in fully trusting him and even allowing your intellect into his hands. And then in everything you do, you do for his purpose, for his glory. Then you can leave the rest to him, that he'll guide your life. Now, first of all, Matt, has that proven true in your life? It has. The problem is, is that I don't implement it enough. I mean, <laughs> well, that's, hey man, that's, me that's too. the issue. That's the issue. And unfortunately, I've already know how my second, how the verse I'm going to say is going to tie into this. Well, save uh, that. Save that. <laughs> well, I'm going to save it. Uh, but it's, I, there's so many associations I have with this verse, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And, you know, when you're a young kid and you hear it, you just think you got to trust in the Lord. That's really important. You know, and that's what it gets. That's what sticks in your brain. But the older you get, the more you realize there are layers of profundity yeah. to this that just hit you kind of in different ways. Yeah. Um, just the, even the, the concept, which I didn't really have uh, before, and I didn't even really hear this phrase uh, until I became Catholic, the idea that God writes straight with, with crooked lines. Yeah. He will make your path straight. You are crazy. You think you're all over the place. He's going to straighten that out. You don't know how. Trust in him. He's going to direct your paths. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's 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 a it's a wild abandonment to Providence. Uh, but I remember, you know, I worked at a family Christian store for a number of years through late high school and college. And every time uh, graduation season would come around, we'd sell a million things that have Proverbs three, five and six yeah. writ written on them, because what better advice can you give someone who's graduating high school or college and going on to this next completely unknown phase of life? Let's yeah. say just, you just trust in the Lord with all your heart. Yeah. Don't lean on your own understanding. I, and I remember also, and this is so funny because at the time he had had a reversion to evangelicalism and had a couple of Christian music tapes out. I remember even the tune and the lyrics to a song by Dion DiMucci called Trust in the Lord with All Your Heart. And the chorus was literally the words <laughs> to that particular verse. It was Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 pretty much straight. Uh, it's, of course, hilarious now to look back and see, well, he had a conversion, a reversion back to his Catholic faith. But this this verse uh, underlies so many things. And actually, what's, what's interesting is how people from different theological perspectives can all latch onto this one. Yep. So if you're a Calvinist who believes completely in the sovereignty of God and not your own free will, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. God is sovereign. If you are a Wesleyan and know that God has given you free will and you're afraid that you're going to break everything with that free will, just trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, right? If you're someone who understands the Catholic theology of suffering and knows that there's pain and evil and rejection and death and destruction in this world, what are you supposed to do with it? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. But you can also pervert this as a health and wealth gospel person. Well, why is the, why are things going wrong in your life? Because you're not you're not trusting the Lord with all your heart and leaning on, yeah. you're leaning on your understanding. It's it's amazing how this one verse can connect to almost any theology, but how it's enriched and fulfilled if you have kind of the whole Catholic picture. Yeah, looked within the rule of faith, and that's that's really. Uh, I mean, I think about when when I was 21 and the pastor pass it along to me, and it was like a verse I never saw at that point, though I had been brought up Lutheran. I don't remember seeing this verse. But at the time, what was the emphasis? Number one, the question was, hey, what are you going to do with your life? In my college environment, what are you going to do? I was, going, I was pre-med, 
I was a chemical engineer for pre-med. Uh, what are you going to do with your life? What are you going to do with your life? What's your plans? What's your plans? What are you going to do? What, what are you going to do tomorrow, five years from now? You know, so I was so stressed out in that, that this verse says, don't stress out about that. You, you, you trust in God and know that he has a plan for your life. And I know many other verses like Romans 8, 28 or whatever we're gonna, we'll look at later that they show the fuller picture. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 doesn't say everything, but it is a great place to begin for many of us. I thought, before I pass on to you, Matt, for your verse, what I found interesting, I, like I said, I didn't have my usual Bible with me today, my RSV that I would normally use, RSV Catholic Edition, but I happened to have the Dewey Reams uh, Challoner, or excuse me, Confraternity version from 1961. It's the last version of the Catholic Bible before the New American Bible, and I, and I, I like this one a lot uh, because the Old Testament's basically the old Dewey Reams, and it it uses a bit different terms for this. And Matt, let me read this, and if you will, let's think about how these terms from a Catholic perspective, maybe help us understand a little more of what Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is saying within the rule of faith. Because the Dewey Reams, which was the actually the Catholic version of the Bible that was translation into English before the King James Version, by about 10 years, I think, this is what it says. It says, have confidence in the Lord with all thy heart. Have confidence in the Lord with all thy heart. And lean not upon thy own prudence. Wow! Now that is a different that 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 opens up a whole different kind of understanding there. Well, to me, the difference is confidence. That's trust, but it's an optimistic trust. Confidence. Yeah, it literally means with faith to have with to have faith with something. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've got confidence in God. I know he's out for what's good for me, for my family, for my I know that. Um, that's just that side of trust with all that heart. Lean not upon thine own prudence. Well, what is prudence? Prudence is making the right decisions. It's more than just understanding what a word means or what something means. Prudence is, is, the, uh, is the wisdom. So no, don't, don't lean on your own wisdom. Yeah. Prudence is called the charioteer of the virtues, right? As though prudence is the one that tells you which to which virtue to apply in which situation and how much of it. Uh, because, I mean, think about how wrong you can go by just taking what is a good virtue, but applying it with too much zeal in a situation. I mean, it's amazing. Uh, yeah, that, 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 that throws a whole different light on that verse. That's, that's, uh, that's great. I'd, I'd never heard that before. Right. Well, let's go to verse six. In all thy ways, think on him. Now, when I always thought acknowledge him, I always saw that as, you know, if I'm giving him the glory. I'm always about, well, it, it, he did this. This is God's, and that's yeah, fine. Yeah, you win the Super Bowl, you say, first I want to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's acknowledging right. yeah. him. But in all your ways, think on him. So in other words, whatever you're doing, you're thinking about the potter, not just the pottery that you're working on. It's all, that's this issue of thankfulness thinking on him. And then it says, and he will direct thy steps. So it affirms that. But it just has this little bit of, of the wider, longer Catholic understanding of virtues 
and what it really means to trust in God. All right. Well, well, it also kind of drives home the fact that you should always own more than one version of the Bible. Okay, there you go. <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you can, you know, just because, <laughs> you know, you'll see something that you've seen a thousand times, but just you'll hear it in a different way and it'll be like, oh, well, that, that opens this up a little bit. Yeah, and I guess this admit, I, I've always used the RSVCE. It was what I used when I was a pastor. And the RSV is actually the more updated version of the King James, which what I grew up with as a Protestant. What I have here is the Catholic version of the updated version of the Dewey Rames, which is parallel to the King James. So this is what I think is probably more familiar with many of our lifelong Catholic listeners. All right, Matt. So it's my the, turn? Pass the baton into your... Okay, so I uh, I unfairly chose one that is even more packed with uh, nuance and, uh, and translation uh, questions than the one that you just did. <laughs> uh, and since we're in Pentecost mode... I figured I'd use this one. Uh, I mentioned that I was a Bible quizzer for a few years. I had some success. Uh, I think probably my most successful years were the ones that we did uh, Luke, Luke's Gospel. That was a really successful year for me. But I think the most successful was when we did the prison epistles. We did Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon for some reason. We, those were the, um, And I still have almost all that stuff memorized, including Galatians 5, 22, and 23. Oh, and I'm going to – and I uh, – I'm going to close my Bible, and I don't know who's watching this on video, but I just want to prove that I can do this as a parlor trick because we had contests <laughs> about doing this. And that is, uh, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things there is no law. Um, it was a point of pride for us to memorize that list in exact order and exact <laughs> cadence. Uh, but there's there's just such, such a richness there. Uh, of course, I would not have grown up with a with kind of a theological distinction or a catechetical training on the difference between the gifts of the Holy Spirit right. and the fruits of the Holy Spirit. But we would understand, we would have understood if you got the Holy Spirit, you've got these things, you've got love, you've got joy, peace, patience, you've got self-control. Um, we always thought that it was kind of interesting that that's the way that list is. It is self-control. It kind of goes back to your comment about prudence earlier. Yeah. Um, but I think uh, one of the things that I want to highlight about uh, this verse is I, I'm not sure where in my progression I, I got this, but it wasn't something that clicked in me until probably my late teens, early college years. Um, perhaps you'd heard sermons preached on this. I, I know I did repeatedly, uh, which is that, you know, the, the whole challenge, how many souls have you brought to Christ this year? How many of your friends at the lunch table have you talked to about Jesus? Uh, all these sorts of things. And, uh, you know, the thing that would be always paraded out is, you know, by their fruits, you shall know them. You know, are you bearing fruit as a Christian? Are you bringing people to Jesus? And when we talked about bearing fruit, it always meant, almost always meant, how many people are you getting to pray the sinner's prayer? How many people are you getting to make a decision for Jesus Christ? Whereas... I can't believe that I never saw it in this context. What does it mean to bear fruit in Christ? Yeah. It means to be a person overflowing with love and joy and peace and patience. and It means to be giving living witness to the, to the Holy Spirit. I mean, that is bearing fruit. Yeah. yeah. yeah uh, but, not, you know, how many decisions have you gotten people to, to, to commit to? It's interesting. Our, our parallel backgrounds in some ways, though, and you and I came from different far field uh, uh, Christian traditions, but we're both Americans. That's what it really. There we go. American Christians. Together. We were, uh, but um, 
when I always interpreted John 15, you know, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me produces much fruit. I interpreted that the same way. The fruit right. is converts to Jesus. Right. Uh, and, and the irony is that this verse, which says that the fruit is something else, is the verse that I have engraved in the inside of my wedding ring. Really? Yes. I have Galatians wow. 5, 22. See, this is why this is a, this is why this this podcast works so well is because anything that I had to memorize is going to be something that stuck with you too. Yeah, yeah, so. because we saw the value of it, and you know, um, I remember when I preached on this a number of times, really thinking that um, when you parallel verse nineteen and verse twenty-two, is that we, uh, earlier we're called to walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh. And in 19, it says it lists the works of the flesh. And the parallel is not the works of the Spirit, but the fruit, fruit. of the yeah. Spirit. And, and the implication is that when we're, first of all, the, the, so the works and the fruit are very, very similar because they come out of that which we have surrendered ourselves and allowed to fill our hearts. If it's the flesh, in other words, the lusts of the flesh, that's the phrase in verse 19, the works of the flesh, or early it says walk in the spirit, you must uh, not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. The lusts are the flesh are all these things, which, by the way, are the things that are filling our culture today. It's just a yeah. list of what's happening in our culture written down there. And each one of those words in verse 19, 20, and 21 are the things that are happening in our culture today that even some Christians are justifying. But if we're walking by the Spirit, these are the ways we become changed by grace. And Matt, I'm sure you. this is not new to you, but I always made a big emphasis on that the fruit of the Spirit is, it's a singular. Mm. The fruit of the Spirit is. It's one fruit with a lot of flavors. <laughs> and that first is, is charity, is love. Right. And, Which Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 in great detail. Yeah. And so these... As I look back, you know, again, I've memorized this verse also for a, a good many years, over 50 years, and what it does to me every time I think about it is it reminds me I've got a way to go yet. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the point, is that fruit grows, fruit grows, and fruit can rot, and that's why there's that famous saying that I know, again, I've repeated many times on the Journey Home program, that statement by Father Garagou Lagrange that in the ways of God, he who does not progress loses ground. That's right. If you don't progress, you don't, you don't reach a quantum level and just stagnate there. You lose ground. Yeah. And, I don't think and that, at the same time, I was going to say I don't think that was a part of my Calvinist background, but it might have been a part no, of your. It definitely was a part of ours. Yes, <laughs> you know, as Wesleyans, you know, we talked about backsliding all the time and recommitting yourself to the Lord. You know, every every one Sunday night a month, you better be down at that altar, or you're you're losing major ground. But there's an also <laughs> there's also something Paul says a little bit earlier in Galatians five, when he talks about how those uh, who are um, who live by the Spirit are not under the law. 
And, you know, if you're, if you're outside of the Catholic tradition, you might think, well, see, we live by the spirit. We don't have to follow your rules and your works and your sacraments and all these other things. Whereas now I understand that to mean if you live by the spirit, you don't have to have a law to tell you to do these things. You're compelled from within yourself to follow Christ with joy to these things. Uh, you don't need a law. To t- I mean, the only reason that we have laws on the books that say, you know, no horsing around the pool, Marcus, is because somebody horsed around the pool sometimes. <laughs> if you just have common sense, if you understand that the pool should be a safe place where we should have fun, you're not going to be shoving people in and dunking them. You right? shouldn't have to be told that you don't dive in three feet of water. You know, right. I mean. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, but but when you live according to the spirit, when the things that are motivating you are love and joy and patience then you kind of don't have to have everybody spell every little thing out for you. There was this group of kids that, you know, lived across the street from me when I lived in, in Ohio. And uh, one of our neighbors, who was an older man, said, they're not bad kids. You just can't think of enough things to tell them not to do. Right. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, we as as, you know, sinful people, we continually have to be told what not to do. But if you're living according to the spirit, you don't have to be told what not to do all the time because you're in tune with the spirit. You're living according to love and joy and peace and patience and self-control and the whole list. Um, and and the, a good part of that, Matt, it would seem that we're, from a Protestant standpoint, we, we got caught in the either or so much. So in other words, if I'm walking by the spirit, therefore I don't need the law. That from a Catholic, I, I realized historically, it's always been a both and. From the very beginning, even going back to our Lord in the Sermon on the Mount, it's a both and. He said, I'm not, I'm not getting rid of the law. You know, anyone that adds or takes away from it is least in the kingdom of, of heaven, he says. I'm not taking away from the law. But so walking by the Spirit gives us the grace to fulfill the central aspect of the law, which is the love of the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. That's the central aspect of the law. To do that is a fruit of the Spirit which has been given to us by grace and dwells within our hearts, and then unites us as brothers and sisters in the church into one body so that we can help each other grow in these fruit by helping each other walk in the Spirit. I was going to, just one thing, the, this, uh, the confraternity version, Matt, of this verse has a slight spin. Uh, it starts out identical, but the fruit of the Spirit is charity, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, modesty, continency. Wow. So faithfulness is faith, gentleness is modesty, modesty. Wow. and self-control is Continence. It helps you understand really what the church understands by continence is self-control. Mm-hmm. It's it's guided by the Spirit to give you the ability to take to stand by your convictions. Right. Well, and the only other place I'd ever heard continents before was like Antarctica, you know, in South America. <laughs> uh, and it, but outside of that, the the only place that I'd really ever heard the word continents, I, I it struck me the first time I heard it. It was when I heard, I uh, read in St. Augustine's writings, Lord, make me chase incontinent, but not yet. <laughs> right. Right. Lord, give me self-control, but let me have a little bit of, you know, of my wild streak first. Uh, but, but it totally uh, met, meshes with self-control. And also that question of gentleness and modesty. I mean, gentleness means treating the other person with care. And what is modesty about? It's not being an occasion of sin for other people, right? I mean, it's yeah. there's a definite connection there. Yeah, yeah. It's 
Which just underlies, audience, why, for example, now we have these two scriptures that, Matt, you and I both believe are, are great to memorize, uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and then Galatians 5, 21, or 22 which, and 23. And they both have songs about them, which makes it easier. Yeah. If you can sing them, you can memorize them. <laughs> so, my friend, let's put these two together. How do these scriptures, you know, we got an Old Testament and a New Testament today. How do these two fit together, do you think? A, a whole there, there, there are a number of ways that this fits together. But you know, of course, you mentioned Proverbs three, five, and six: Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. How are you supposed to bear fruit with the Holy Spirit if you're not abandoning yourself to the providence of God? Both of these have to do, at their core, with you taking whatever your inclinations and your sinful nature are and saying. We're done with that. We want to bear fruit and we want to trust. We want God to be running the show, not us running the show. That's ultimately what they both have completely in common, which is, you know what? Not my will, but thine be done. I was going to say an example. Trust in the Lord with all, excuse me. The fruit of the Spirit is, number one, love, charity. All right. What's it mean to love? What does it require of me to love? What ought well, I'll tell do. you what it requires in a marriage. It requires trust. I was going to say, so we can't lean on our own understanding when it comes to any of these things, and because that's where our culture has gone. Rather than listening to the Lord, listening to his church, listening to the wisdom of the authority that's been passed down by the spirit-guarded guidance of the church, then we have a completely, not only do we have a completely different understanding of, of law, love, and how do you seek happiness and joy? And what is the peace that we're looking for in our world? World, Patience, kindness. What that means is what we have today in our culture is that those things have been transposed into the works of the flesh. These nine things, itemized in 22, in our culture have become the works of the flesh that are itemized in verse 19, which are immorality, uncleanness, licentiousness, idolatry, witchcrafts, enmities, contentions, jealousies, anger, quarrels, factions, parties, envies, murders, drunkenness, carousing, and such like. This is the stuff that people say, well, I did it out of love, or this is how I got joy, and all these things, unless they're guided, unless they're fruits of the Spirit. They don't progress. They lose ground. Well, and that's that goes back to the classical understanding of all sin. All it is is a a good sought wrongly. You know, <laughs> that's 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 what what sin really is. It's something that you know. It, there's a desire in you for something that is noble and good, but you have redirected it and perverted it, uh, so that you've taken that natural desire uh, and the wounds of your own concupiscence or the wiles of the devil or whatever have caused you to to corrupt that. But but it goes back to that you know that that sort of climax of the proverbs 3 5 and 6 thing is is that you know if you if you're trusting in the lord he will make your path straight if you're trusting in yourself this is the path you're going to go down yeah you know the path you're going to go down is not the path of love joy and peace and patience it's going to be immorality and drunkenness and carousing and idolatry and all the other junk uh that i know myself well enough to know that if i'm not listening to the spirit i'm just listening to my own you know sinful nature i know where i'm going to end up yeah i'm not going to end up on a straight path as the writer of Proverbs says. But for the grace of God, go I. Yeah. And uh, 
So, Matt, this has been fun. Thank you. I hope, audience, I hope you've enjoyed this. Uh, I will say that our one of our goals is to have on our website a running list of these verses, these memorable verses that our my guests have shared every week so that uh, we encourage you to memorize them, to know them. I don't know, Matt, maybe at the end of the year you're going to have some kind of Bible quiz. You know, we can uh, see I know. <laughs> Well, uh, I'll get those uh, those triggered electrified seats that we used to jump off of. <laughs> maybe, Matt, in closing, uh, share a little bit for the audience about our work, if you would. Sure. Uh, and uh, we'll, we'll get that page up before too long with all the verses on it. But if you go to chnetwork.org, first of all, you'll find over a thousand conversion stories that we've done over the years that you've done on the journey home, short videos as well, written conversion stories also. Uh, we'd encourage people, if they're not already, to uh, become a member, get our newsletter so they can get up to date on prayer requests from our members who are converts and on the journey. And then, of course, our online community where we curate our own social network uh, where people can uh, hopefully get together and encourage each other in their walk with Christ. So right. check it out, chnetwork.org. Thank you, Matt, uh, for joining me today. Thank you, all of you for joining us. And uh, we look forward to being with you again next week on Deep in Scripture. God bless Deep in Scripture is a production of the Coming Home Network International. To hear more episodes, view our full archive of written and video conversion stories, participate in our online community forum, and more, visit chnetwork.org. You're also invited to explore free membership in the Coming Home Network and receive support on your own Catholic journey. Again, visit chnetwork.org for more information.